morning, everybody. Um, today's key text is from Jeremiah 29, and it's verse 4 through 14, if you want to follow along. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Amen. There is a former Archbishop of Canterbury that had arrived in New York. And this hotshot journalist who's looking for a way to make a name for himself rushed up, pushed everyone out of the way, rushed up to this archbishop and asked, will you be visiting any of our nightclubs while you are here? And so the archbishop, trying to just play along a little bit and responded mischievously, are there nightclubs here? And the next day, the headline in the newspaper read, Archbishop's first question on arriving in New York. Are there any nightclubs here? How easy it is to change the meaning of something when we take it out of context. We do this all the time with scripture. We'll take one verse and spread it all over, giving it a feel-good Hallmark card kind of feeling giving it a meaning that it was never intended to have. Let's take Luke eleven nine. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. We like to take that as an ironclad promise from God for all things. You want a new car? You want a new house, a new job, new spouse? Pray for it. God will, br- God will bring it to you. Or at least that's what we wanted to say. But that's not what it really says. Jesus already told us what to ask for. 
He told his disciples, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins. It isn't ask for anything you want. It's ask for the kingdom. And the kingdom will be yours. We know that because Jesus wraps up that whole text with this. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You want the Holy Spirit? You want everything? Ask for the Holy Spirit. That's where everything is. Or how about this favorite, Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We tend to use it like we're superheroes who can leap from one building to another. And I thought that sounded kind of crazy at first till I did a Google search on images, and this is what I found. Look, see? We're superheroes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We teach children they're Superman. We tend to use it for athletic performance rather than perseverance through our needs. In the context of the verses before this one, Paul is telling people that whatever circumstance, whether he had much or whether he had little, that he finds himself in any circumstance, he can be content. This verse is about being content in the circumstances of life. It's not about achieving anything and achieving everything. What it's really about is enduring anything. And in our text this morning, we have another one of those verses that we always take out of context. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster. Plans for a future and a hope. Sounds good, right? Other translations sound even better. The NIV says, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And the Good News translation really lives up to its name. I will bring you prosperity, it says. And I will bring about the future that you hope for. Oh, now that's a nice one, isn't it? Who wouldn't want that? I want that. I know what I want for my future. God, you're going to give me my future? The one that I want? Yeah, it says it right here in this book. That's what it tells me. That's what we use to tell people about the Christian life. Life with Jesus looks like this. Ask for it. It's yours. God will give you all the plans that you hope for. It's misleading. We tell people to leave this dark world behind. Come to the light. The Christian life is beautiful because God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. There's this meme, a picture that has been circulating the internet for years. It's a picture of Darth Vader from Star Wars. And he's holding a, a plate of cookies. And the line underneath says, come to the dark side. We have cookies. 
And we use this verse in a similar fashion. Come to the Jesus side. We have love and we have hope and joy and all sorts of happy, good things. Look, we do the same thing. But what is this verse really saying to us? Can we expect and anticipate only wonderful plans from God in our Christian walk? You know, when Jay and I first became believers, actually, he had not become a believer yet. I had become a believer, and, and I was searching and searching, and, and he had a nurse that he had been training with who was a Christian. She was a believer, and she gave us a couple's Bible because she knew that I was on this journey. And inside the Bible is written a note with Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in it. About eight months after we received that Bible, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Wow, so what kind of message? God has a, a, a plan and a hope for your future. It, it, well, I don't want any part of it if it's going to include cancer. That's not wonderful to me. That's not what God's talking about, though. You see, verse 11 it means that God has good desires. It means that he has good intentions for us. He has good plans for Israel and for us, too. He has good plans. But we need to look at what God's plan might look like. It depends on whose idea of wonderful we're really using. In verse 4, we find out who God is talking to. The exiles that I have exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. The Israelites are in exile. They were disobedient to the Lord. They were worshiping idols. They were not loving God with all their heart, mind, and soul. They were denying justice to those who couldn't afford it. And they viewed the poor as mere resources to be used than human beings, and the list could go on and on and on. God had warned them through prophets over and over and over, and they refused to change their ways. And so God lifted his hand of protection, and they're taken captive and dragged off to Babylon. Not a very wonderful plan, is it? But that is God's idea of wonderful you see, God's aim for Israel was that they be holy. He wanted them to do what was right. He wanted them to hate sin and to live for the things that he loved. But humanity is always looking and striving for happiness. So naturally, we presume that any plan that is wonderful is going to make us happy. But God's goal is not shallow happiness. God's goal is deep holiness. God's goal for our lives and for his church is that we be Christ-like. His goal is that we take on the character of Christ. Because when we do that, we find joy. That's where wonderful is. But wonderful comes at a price. Sacrifice. Self-denial. The writer of Hebrews told us that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. 
And so here are the Israelites enduring the consequences of their choices in exile. They're in a country that is not their home. All they want to do is go home. That is their hope. That is the future that they want. And God says, no. Doesn't sound so wonderful, does it? In fact, God tells them what his plan is for them at this point in time. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry. Have children. Found, find, spice, uh, find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where, city where I sent you. Oh, pray to the Lord for that city, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Ouch, that one's a stinger, isn't it? Make the most of your situation. Another good paraphrase, bloom where you're planted. Anticipate and expect that God is working in your situation. Stop focusing on the negative and look for God's work. Because his plans won't be thwarted. You've got to embrace where he has you at. Seek peace, he said. Seek peace daily. And then don't only seek it, but work for peace in your situation. Work for peace in your community. Jeremiah is asking them to do the unthinkable. Pray for the welfare of the city. Pray for the very people that are holding you in exile. Pray for the people that are making you miserable. Pray for the people that are making you angry. Pray for the people that are making you unhappy. And you know what? I, that's not the kind of, this is not the kind of prayer that we say, you know what, Lord, can you help them figure out that they're wrong? Lord, can you help them figure out that I'm right? It's not that kind of prayer. It's the kind of prayer that, Lord, can you help them? I know that they are struggling through something. Can you help them through that? Lord, can you bless them? I know they're making me angry, but I don't know what's going on with them, so could you bless them? That kind of prayer. Not the kind of prayer that I find myself doing sometimes when I get in an argument with my husband. Can you help him, Lord, see that I'm right? Can you help him see that he's wrong? Yeah, not that kind of prayer. Because God's work is going to be carried out no matter what. This is the same work that God told Abraham about in Genesis 12. Be a blessing to the world. Even in exile, or what may feel like exile to us, God's people are called to embrace the community around them with the same love and the same compassion with which God reached out to us. It's really a foreshadowing of Jesus' words in Matthew in chapter 5 when he tells them to pray for their enemies. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christ follower, a believer, or any other euphemism that you use to identify yourself with Christ, 
You're called to bring peace wherever you go. That includes social media. We live in a very volatile political social climate. And followers of Christ have the responsibility and the privilege of bringing peace. The writer of Proverbs tells us in chapter 15, a gentle answer deflects anger. Harsh words make tempers flare. Further in chapter 15, verse 18, a hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. No matter where you stand on any issue, political or social, we, as Christ followers, are called to respond with calmness, words of peace. We do not have the freedom of joining the ranks of hurtful and hateful comments that we see spewed all over the place. How are you doing? Are you using words that incite further anger? Or are you using words that calm tempers and put out fires? Are we being a blessing to those around us? Even the ones that cause us stress. Even the ones that cause us turmoil. Jeremiah makes one point very clear in the first three verses of our text this morning. In verse 4, when God is speaking, God says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon. And it's repeated again in verse 7, where God is speaking for peace and prosperity, where I sent you into exile. No matter how much we might dislike our situation, we have the assurance that God is in control. Jesus still sits on the throne, and he knows what is best for us. Remember, for the Israelites, the wonderful plan included going home. But had God allowed them to go back to Jerusalem, they would have been returning right into the center of the coming destruction and devastation of Jerusalem. They couldn't see it, but God could. And although they didn't know it, it was actually safer for them to stay in exile in Babylon than it was for them to go home to Jerusalem. Like the Israelites, we make wonderful plans, but it turns out that they could be disastrous for us. So God says, no. And in the reverse, we may look at God's plan and think they are disastrous. What are you doing, Lord? I don't understand. But God doesn't ask us to understand. He simply asks us to trust. Trust me, he says. And it's that trust that's crucial for us as we anticipate and expect God to move on our behalf. Because God's plans are not our plans. And because God's timing is not our timing. You see, after God tells the Israelites to settle down for the long haul, they have no idea what the long haul really is. So they follow up with, you will be in Babylon for 70 years. 
70 years. That's a lifetime away. Some of these Israelites will never see Jerusalem again. They're going to die in this land of exile. We live in an age of, we want it yesterday. The world has taught us that waiting is overrated. We have drive through restaurants, drive through banks. If you sit at a green light just a second too long, the person behind you starts honking. We have instant coffee, microwave ovens, online shopping with next day shipping. And now we even have this new thing that Walmart has where you go online, you put your order in, they do the shopping for you, you just swing up, they put it in your car and you go home. We don't like to wait. We even have self-checkout lines. You don't want to wait for someone else to check you out. You do it yourself. We don't like to wait. We're always expecting now, now, now. But we take it into our prayer life, especially when we're experiencing things that we don't like, things that hurt, things that make us uncomfortable. We pray for now, Lord, now, now. And God says, no, no. Like a spoiled child that wants what they want when they want it, we implore God to act on our timeline. And then when he doesn't respond the way we want him to or the way we expect him to, we respond like a heartbroken child to the parent who just changed their plans. But you promised. Lord, but you promised. See, Jeremiah 29, 11 says that you will give me good plans. Well, this is a wonderful plan, Lord. Why aren't you doing it? But like that small child... Like the Israelites, we can't see the whole picture. And we can't see the future. Only God can. We have to trust his timing. We have to trust his sovereignty in all things, even in our trials. But Jeremiah doesn't end the message there. After he delivers these harsh words of their reality, he brings words of assurance. I know I have I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans for good not for disaster to give you a future and a hope It was a reminder that God's will as it always has been and will forever be is to bring blessing and life to his people not cursing and not death but it also doesn't negate or remove the suffering in this world Rather, God's desire to bring blessing in life, it moves through and it moves past and it moves beyond the trials and pain of this world to assure us of his sovereignty. You see, in Jeremiah's day, God was purifying for himself a people, a church, and he's doing the same thing today in and through every delightful or difficult detail of our lives. 600 years after Jeremiah wrote his letter, Peter refers to his readers as exiles, sons and daughters of God who live as strangers in a sin-filled world. 
We too are waiting to go home. But in the meantime, there's work to be done. The good news from Jeremiah is that when the time is right, God is ready, God is willing, and God is able to do a new thing. That is a gift of hope that helps us endure trials and pain. It's a gift that points to fresh starts, new beginnings, and new life. We like to take 2911 and make it just about us. But when we hold that individualized earthly view of the promise in our text, we're blinded to the most fundamental and freeing truth that's in it. The you in the text is plural. It's a you all, y'all, yous guys. It's about everyone. It's for all of you in community. God is talking to his people. He's talking to his church body, the corporate church body. In his plan, bloom where you're planted. And he shows them the bigger picture, that their individual lives and circumstances help to paint in his display of his glory. The future that Jeremiah talks about is bright. One that everyone in the community, through prayer and worship, seeks as their collective hope. A hope that needs to be shared. A hope that needs to be seen, lived out. Many of us want to desperately know God's plans for us as individuals. But let Jeremiah remind us that it's not all about us. And it might not look like what we think it should. The words that Peter used in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, exiles, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. When difficulties and trials drive us to despair, when we're ready to just give up, let Jeremiah 29, 11 remind us that we're not alone. We're involved in a story that is bigger and better than we could ever imagine. We're part of this full assembly of God's saints throughout history who put God's goodness and glory on display for the world. Our hope and future is sealed with the blood of Jesus. And no matter what life throws at us, we have the privilege, yes, the privilege and the honor to show others that there is a hope and a future for them too. Every disappointment, every difficulty that we face is the spiritual sculpting and fitting in 
of us into his family in order that we show others that they have a place too. The last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit and we've talked about revival. And here we are in 2018. We're in it. We're not talking about going into it. Here we are in 2018. And Sawgrass Community Church, we are going to be in 2018 worshiping and praying expectantly for opportunities to love in ways that matter and serve those around us. And we will love and serve people in anticipation of God's Spirit transforming lives and transforming communities. That's why we are here. We are to bloom where he planted us. And that's exactly what we're going to do because God has a hope and a future for us here in Hollywood. And that's what 2018 is going to be because that is God's wonderful plan for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals your word to us. We thank you for your plans for us, Lord. We pray that you help us to trust you more. Lord, we always want to know. We always want to understand. Help us to trust. As we leave this place, May we shine brightly for Jesus. May we shine your goodness and your glory for those that come across our path. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Mm-hmm.